Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Varying Viewpoints. I am Tiana Herring, a John Smart Summer Scholar Intern at the Samuel D. Witt Proctor Institute for Leadership, Equity, and Justice and Rutgers Center for Minority Servant Institutions. With me today, I have my fellow interns. Hello, I'm Steffi Quinn. Hello, I'm Miranda Phoebus. Today's topic is Colleges and Campus Police. Our podcast guest is Dr. Roger Ferguson, author of We Demand, The University and Student Protest. It is a pleasure having you with us today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I um, am a professor at Yale University. I teach in the departments of women's and gender, uh, sexuality studies, as well as American studies, ethnicity, race, and migration, and African-American studies. Awesome. Thank you. Now for our first question. In your book, We Demand, the University and Student Protest, you point out the irony of how institutions devoted to educating students could produce the conditions for their possible annihilation. How has the establishment of campus police influence students' perception and general concerns about the priorities of higher education institutions? Well, I think one of the things that we're seeing today, um, especially in the wake of the George Floyd murder is an increased visibility of students, uh, activists uh, on college campuses calling for things like police disarmament, um, especially of the campus police. We have to connect these efforts to defund and disarm police forces on college campuses to the legacies of the buildup of police forces um, after Jackson State and Kent State. Now, if you remember, this is 1970 when the police and the National Guard killed students at those universities, uh, student protesters. And campus administrators argued not for the curtailment of police powers, but for the augmentation of police powers. They petitioned uh, state legislatures to authorize universities to build campus police departments. So in many ways, what students and all of us are reckoning with in this moment uh, is the legacy of that expansion and augmentation that happened in 1970. Wow, that was powerful. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Um, Our next question is, in theory, how should campus police serve and protect students? How does this transfer into practice? And can you provide some historical and recent examples? Well, I mean, I think the, the question should be reframed in terms of do campus police protect and serve students, all right? Mm-hmm. Um, after asking that question, we should all engage in studies and research uh, about campus police departments at our local institutions. What we know is that campus police and their responsibilities have expanded even as violent crime and property theft have gone down on campuses. So campus police are expanding and given authority to patrol and arrest even beyond their campuses to protect what exactly, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I think here we also want to look to the activists and scholars who are at the forefront of this question, Um, Miriam Kaba, Beth Ritchie, 
Andrea Ritchie, Dylan Rodriguez, Ruthie Gilmore, Angela Davis, um, Naomi Mirakawa, and groups such as Critical Resistance. Uh, here at Yale, there's Black Students for Disarmament at Yale, at the University of Minnesota, uh, where I taught for 14 years. There's Humphrey Students of Color, the Humphrey Students of Color Association, which uh, importantly had a campus police disarmament conference last year. Uh, there are plenty of people and organizations that are doing the work. I, what we want to do is make it our job to find those people and those organizations. Um, in many ways, those people, those organizations are helping to imagine the models uh, that would allow for uh, a protecting and serving of all peoples, okay? Thank you, Dr. Ferguson, for those examples. Mm -hmm. um, the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution protects free speech. However, it does not protect consequences. In your opinion, what are the obligations of the administration and campus police in protecting students' right to free speech? Well, I mean, again, uh, let's... You know, we want to let go of the presumption that the police are there to protect all of us. The data show otherwise. Uh, administrations are supposed to be obligated to protect and promote academic freedom. Mm. Academic freedom does not mean the freedom to harm others or the right to produce injurious speech against marginalized communities and peoples. Um, you know, for instance, it is not an act of freedom for me to say racist things about, you know, the person next to me or sexist things about the person next to me or the homophobic things mm. about the person next to me. Now, in the book, I talk about the ways that the conservative movement uh, in the 1970s began to construct itself as the underdog to campuses that were presumably overrun and overtaken by radicals and progressive uh, scholars. That was always a fiction. There are plenty of conservative faculty members and departments that don't admit people of color, uh, keep the numbers of women faculty low, uh, keep the numbers of trans students as low as possible to non-existent. Uh, most traditional departments continue to be predominantly white. Now, that's hardly the image of the university taken over by leftists. Conservatism proceeds in the university just fine. To the extent that administrations promote people who espouse racist, homophobic, and sexist views is the extent that they have bought into the fictitious narrative that conservatives are cowering in fear on college campuses and have to be protected. Does that make sense? Mm, yes. Thank you for that insight. Um, the United States has seen a pattern in history where presidents frame activism as a threat to democracy to justify their use of force towards protesters. Um, what are the implications and impact of U.S. presidents like Nixon calling student, student protesters criminals or Trump calling protesters thugs? Well, I mean, I think the, con the consequence is what we saw in 2011 at the University of California, Davis, when peaceful protesters were pepper sprayed, uh, or when peaceful demonstrators in front of St. John's Church 
in Washington, D.C., were tear gassed to allow the president to have a photo op. Mm -hmm. uh, if you construct protesters as criminals and thugs, you can mistreat them. And then you can justify that mistreatment as the preservation of order. All right. You see wow. here again, we return again and again to Jackson State and Kent State mm -hmm. that uh, what uh, President Trump is doing in referring to protesters as thugs has a long genealogy to it. You know, and so he's in a sense uh, borrowing language from um, the terms that were set in the 1970s uh, you know, to talk about and to deal with protesters. Even if we wanted to go before that, I didn't necessarily write about this in the book, but you know, when Ronald Reagan, before he was president of the United States, he was the governor of California. He called the National Guard out on uh, protesting students at UC Berkeley. You know, there you have also another instance in which activists uh, who were arguing um, for uh, into uh, oppression uh, around the globe, funded by the U.S., uh, and into the decimation of uh, peoples and communities within the global south, were regarded as criminals and treated as such, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, in many ways, that's what we're also uh, witnessing at this moment. Right. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. So given the murder of George Floyd, the University of Minnesota has cut ties with the Minneapolis Police Department. How do you feel about such a historic move on the part of the institution's administration? And what does this mean for other colleges who have relationships with local police? Well, you know, as I said uh, earlier, I taught at the University of Minnesota for 14 years, and I thought what they did was a very courageous move. Um, it's an institution saying enough is enough, that we will turn to the serious business of trying to protect and serve life and separating that from uh, our presumptions about what the police do, okay? Uh, the university was in fact saying we're going to give up the fiction that the police as an institution protects and serves all kinds of life. Um, you know, the recent data show that if you're black or brown, you're three times as more likely to be killed on the police custom mm. or by the police than if you're white. Um, so if we let go of that fiction, what are the institutional outcomes when you reckon with it, all right? It's important to know that people at the University of Minnesota didn't just wake up one day and decide after the Floyd murder, okay, we're going to cut ties with the police. As I mentioned earlier, the university had already been having conversations, or at least students in the university had already been having conversations, convening uh, conferences that involved the university community, but also the community outside of the University of Minnesota about police violence. This was way before George Floyd was killed. So it wasn't a spontaneous action. It was actually the out, a decision that was the outcome of many months of deliberation and discussion. Right. 
So in your opinion, what else can colleges do to respond to the growing demand from students to decrease campus police presence? And how can colleges ensure that students are physically and emotionally protected while police are on campus? Yeah, the, the moment that students were killed at Jackson State and Kent State mm -hmm. should have been the moment that the nation and its institutions thought seriously about curtailing police powers. There should have been a what have we just done moment. Um, we have ended young people's lives hmm? in the name of order. Colleges should be places that listen to not only the student demands, but also the community's demands for the curtailment of police powers. As I mentioned um, earlier, one of the things, one of the powers that campus police often enjoy is the power not only to patrol and arrest on their college campuses, but to patrol and arrest beyond its borders. So the police actually mm -hmm. go into, campus police can go into oftentimes the communities that are um, unaffiliated with the university uh, and patrol and arrest, right? Um, a curtailment of police powers would involve investigating the increased authority that police have been given, again, to patrol and rest outside of the campus borders. A curtailment would also uh, mean asking the question of, do campus police need military-grade equipment? A curtailment would also then ask if civil disobedience is a protected constitutional right, why then, why can the police simply mistreat people who are exercising a mm -hmm. constitutional right? All right, in addition, students' demands are of a piece with the community's demands, the communities that live around the university and that sustain it with workers. Um, we have to think of uh, and find ways to connect the movements that rethink uh, the broad powers that campus police have as part of the interests uh, and the movements that are taking place, similar movements taking place in the communities surrounding universities. Um, we also have to come to the realization that we can't diversify our campuses and keep the people that make up that diversity safe if there's an institution that's three times as likely to end their lives lives versus those of their white counterparts. You know? So there's a great deal that's at stake in rethinking, uh, for campuses to rethink the function and the operations of the police. That was great. Thank you. Um, and it was such a pleasure getting to know you. Thank you so much Thank for you. being here. Um, and sharing your insight on this subject. Is there anything else you would like to add? No, I just want to thank you, um, you know, all for inviting me, but also we'll say, you know, in the spirit of, uh, I know if I knew him as Reverend Samuel Proctor, um, that this is a question that has to, you know, be one that remakes us as leaders, as thinkers, as community people, and as spiritual beings, okay?
Right. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so then this wraps up this episode of Varying Viewpoints. Thank you for listening.